You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Mark chapter 13, verses 19 through the end of the chapter. If you want to take a minute to find it in your Bible or on your phone, I'm going to do the same thing. And then if you would stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Again, it's Mark uh, chapter 13, verses 19 through 37. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not has been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord has not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
I uh, have been inspired by the movie uh, Memento, if you have seen that. Um, I've inspired, been inspired to tell a story uh, backwards. That's what the movie does. Uh, it tells a story backwards. Um, there's a movie called, I think, Benjamin Button, maybe, that kind of does that. It's the story of a person who goes from older to younger. Not exactly the same. Memento is a better uh, analogy. But I wanted to tell the story of Mark backwards, the story of Jesus backwards. And I chose Mark because it's the simplest gospel, the shortest gospel. It's the most narrative. It's the most fast-paced. It's uh, action-packed. So um, I'm not going through every story, but I just thought, how would a director potentially make uh, the gospel of Mark, uh, the story of Jesus, backwards? It's so familiar to a lot of people that it would be helpful in a way to see it going in reverse. So we started with, of course, the resurrection. Um, And then after the resurrection, and maybe some of you don't know the story, so you the last thing that happens is the resurrection. And then the next week is going to be the crucifixion. And then last week was the third week. And I could have chosen a lot of things. I chose the Lord's Supper, which happens right before he's crucified. Uh, and then there's a bunch of stuff that happens between the Lord's Supper and this. But uh, I wanted to talk about the second coming because in a way, it's like a dream sequence that takes you to the very end of the story. So in some ways, we're jumping back to the, to the very beginning, if you will, or to the very end. Um, the second coming, in some ways, is blurry. It is like a dream. If I were making the movie, I would make it blurry. Uh, it would not be exactly clear. It would have a lot of images flashing. Um, in case you didn't notice, that was not an easy passage to interpret at all. Uh, scholars disagree enormously on what Mark 13 is saying. One thing they all agree upon is that it's about the second coming of Jesus. And some would even say the book of Revelation is written uh, according to the structure of Mark 13. So in some ways, this is where Jesus tells the world, this is how the world's going to end. This is how the universe is going to end. So it's kind of blurry, but it is all-encompassing. Okay, It, it, it is cosmic. The sun darkened, verse 24, the moon, like he just like God snaps off the moon. He, uh, he has the stars fall. So this is not like Jesus is coming again in my heart. You know, we sometimes make... Christianity personal, like he lives in my heart. Jesus is not going to come again in my heart. He's coming again and everyone's going to see it. If this is not a correct prediction, then Christianity is false. So either he's coming or he's not coming. And he said he was coming. And as my wife said this week, you know, this is one of those, this is one of those doctrines of of faith that uh, almost makes you doubt that it's true. I don't know if that's, it strikes me that way too. As an adult believer, I was an atheist first 21 years of my life, and this was a really hard pill to swallow. Um, The second coming, the idea that in the end of time, he's going to come back to earth, and like, how is everybody going to see him at once, and what does it mean coming on the clouds? These kind of questions, it makes you just wonder. This is kind of embarrassing intellectually, it seems like. Um, But, but if you're going to write a story, as God wrote a story of the universe, it's got to end somewhere. It's got to end somewhere. And if you ended it with this man dying on the cross and rising from the grave, and that was it, it really wouldn't make sense. You just have this random guy walking around on planet Earth, and uh, he'd be raised from the dead. He'd be, look at, look at me, I'm raised from the dead. And it really wouldn't actually make for a great story. But if the story is that he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, he's not here, he's been gone 2,000 years, but one day he's coming back. That's the story. 
That's a big story. So that's, that's how the Bible says it's all going to end. And I want to look at, number one, just what the second coming is, what the doctrine is. It's very important we all know that. It's in the, the Apostles' Creed. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Um, and then I want to look at what it means to be awake to that reality. You know, it's one thing to know here it's going to happen. And probably the vast majority of you already knew here that it was going to happen. But what does it mean to be awake and alive to the reality of the second coming? So first, the second coming itself. The context is really important. Um, this is the, the last week of Jesus' life. He's in Jerusalem. He's talking to his disciples. And they're sitting on the steps of the temple. I, I imagine them eating sandwiches or something like that. They're sitting there on the big stone steps of the temple. And they're talking. And the disciples are kind of starry-eyed. And they're admiring the stones. Look at these big stones, teacher. Look at these great stones. This is Herod's temple. This is one of the wonders of the world. This is this incredible architectural phenomenon. And Jesus is like, calm down, guys. Don't get too excited. This is all going to be gone. This is going to be gone in 40 years. This will be wiped away. This entire temple will be gone. The center of Judaism, where all the sacrifices are made, the hub, the, what the Jews thought of as the navel of the earth, connecting heaven to earth, this will be gone. And uh, he says in verse 30, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. That's not about the second coming. That's tripped up a lot of people. That's, it, that's not about the second coming. That's about um, the destruction of the temple. The end of second temple Judaism. Essentially the end of Judaism as it was known for thousands of years. Uh, so when he says these things take place, he's talking about the greatest tragedy in Jewish history. Uh, to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but to them, this was in some ways the most important event in the history of the world. It was like a second fall to people who are Jewish today. They look back on Rome's destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. They just pulverized the temple. Uh, the, um, the general Titus was the general who came in and just dis destroyed Judaism, essentially. This happened in 70 A.D., uh, very well documented historical event, uh, one of the great events uh, even in the in you know in Roman history, and thousands of Jewish people still come to this wall. You may have heard of this wall. It's the Western Wall. Of, only thing left in this temple. It's still there today, uh, and that wail, they call it the Wailing Wall sometimes. And a lot of very devout Jews come to the Wailing Wall and they mourn and they weep for the destruction, and they're still hoping that one day it'll be rebuilt. And Jesus is saying. That somehow, in the midst of this awful tragedy that he's predicting, and all these awful things are going to happen when the temple falls, he's saying there's something huge going on underneath the surface. There's something that is surfacing, like a great blue whale coming up. And um, the fall of the temple and the end of Second Temple Judaism will mean that uh, God's people will go international, viral, that in some ways uh, Israel will become an international phenomenon, no longer tied to the borders of this country, no longer located in an actual place. Uh, that there will no longer be needed sacrifices, blood sacrifices. That um, Jesus will become the temple. That this will become the only sacrifice, the Lord's Supper. And so the temple falling uh, is a terrible thing, but Jesus is saying it's going to lead to something huge, a, a brand new reality. And in the same way, he says, when he thinks about the temple falling, his mind goes right to his second coming. And that's the interesting piece of this passage. Where is he talking about 70 AD and where is he talking about his second coming? And it's not easily clear which is which. 
I, I know that in verse 32 through 37, he's talking about the second coming. Maybe other verses too, but I know that in those verses he's talking about the second coming. Somehow his mind leaps from the destruction of the temple, that's what they're talking about, and then all of a sudden he's talking about the end of time. So it's kind of like um, these two things get uh, mixed. In verse 32 he says, concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. So he said earlier that this generation will not pass away in verse 30. That's talking about 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. Now in verse 32, that day and that hour, no one knows. He even says not even the son of man knows. I don't even know. I have limited my knowledge, even though I am the omnipotent son of God. I have chosen to limit my knowledge in this body as a human. And I don't even know when I'm going to come back. Only the father knows. So that is talking about the end of everything. Which is also, in some ways, a tragedy. I mean, imagine everything just going away. This entire universe going away. The world as we know it being destroyed. Jesus says, yes, that's a tragedy, but it's kind of like birth pains. So I didn't read this verse, but in verse 8, it says there will be earthquakes and famines. This is Mark 13, 8. Earthquakes, famines, etc., etc., all these tragedies. But these are the beginning of the birth pains. And what he's saying is that when the temple falls, that's going to be like birth pains. In the same way, when he comes again, that's going to be like birth pains. And so all of these terrible things that are happening, you know, I hear that birth pains are some of the greatest pains there are. I mean, I wouldn't know that, but I've heard that that is the case. And I do know that when, when the birth pains happen, that a child comes into the world. And that's the only way a child can come into the world, only through pain. And in the same way, the new creation cannot come into the world except through pain. And that's what he's saying, that when I come again, there will be a disruption. There will be enormous disruption. Uh, Romans 8.22 says the whole creation has been groaning together as in birth pains. So even now, as in some ways the new creation is coming into the world, there's a lot of pain in the world. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.22. The whole creation is groaning together as in birth pains. Somehow the the animals, uh, all creation is groaning So imagine something so great, some giant blue whale surfacing. It's so huge that the death of the sun and the moon and the stars don't even compare. They're worth it. And it's so so glorious that all of the earthquakes and the famines in the history of the world are worth it. And that is the Lord's return. And my favorite um, depiction of the, the, the coming of the Lord is in Psalm 98. A lot of the Psalms talk about the coming of the Lord when he comes to judge the earth. And listen to what Psalm 98 says. Psalm 96 has got some of the similar ideas, but I love Psalm 98. Um, Let the rivers clap their hands. Imagine the rivers clapping their hands as a metaphor, but something's going to happen with the rivers when the the, the Lord of nature returns. The, the The rivers clapping their hands. The mountains singing for joy together. For he comes to judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. So when the Lord of justice comes, nature will sing and the animals will sing. It says... Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all who dwell in it. That's also Psalm 98. Let the seas roar and all that fills it. I always think about like a growing chorus of animals. If you've seen a little mermaid under the sea and those animals kind of build up in a growing chorus, you have the shrimp, the fish, the lobsters, the dolphins, and like the entire ocean is now singing. And I think about the seas roaring and all the animals in the seas roaring in praise to the creator who's coming back to bring justice, because they want justice done. I mean, don't imagine that nature is unaware of the injustices that we do to nature and to each other. 
And so nature will see the restoration of justice and the dogs will kneel down. You know, I don't know, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Or the seagulls will cry. And those, those storks that dance around, they will dance around. And, and they will all together uh, give glory to God when he comes again. In verse 24, it says, After this tribulation, the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Uh, the powers in the heavens are um, the powers that be. Uh, those are, that's a description of the systems and structures of evil, such as in the Roman Empire, when arrogant and greedy people who trample the weak and the helpless will be shaken. So all of the systems of injustice are going to be shaken when he comes again. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tribulation of justice. And, and his mom predicted it. Mary, you know, Mary sometimes sounds like Karl Marx or something like that. When she's singing to the Magnificat, she says, he will cast down the mighty from their thrones and he will exalt those of humble estate. And the rich he will send away empty and he will fill the hungry with good things. I'm not saying she was a Marxist, but I think Marx got his ideas from Mary or something like that. But Jesus fulfills that when he says in verse 26, the son of man will come on the clouds with great power and glory and I will crush the empire. That's what he said. If you look at Daniel 7, where that comes from, he's saying, I will crush the empire. That's going to all be gone. And the Son of Man will create this new, uh, beautiful restoration of nature, of justice. And, you know, actually, this leads to kind of uncomfortable questions for those of us for whom the world works really well. And I would say that would be me. And the question that we would have to ask ourselves is, are we ready for the turning of the tables that will occur when he comes again? Uh, would we even want that to happen? Or is this world working so well that we kind of like it down here and we don't really want it to come back? And the judgment of all things would be a disaster. Um, for many, that would be a great thing. But for a lot of us, that would be a scary thing. And so that's the first point, is that he will come again. And that when he comes again, it will be very clear that we don't own the stuff that we have, that he owns it all. Verse 35, it says, the master of the house will come. In other words, the guy who owns it all. Um, the guy to whom all things belong. That we are now borrowing. That we are now borrowing. And the second point is we need to wake up to this reality. We need to wake up to the fact that this is not our home. This is not the end of all things. This is not where we belong. This is wrong. This is not the way the world's supposed to be. And we need to wake up to that. And it might sound like a fairy tale that he will come again and do all these things. But again, think about it. It's got to end somehow, right? I was an, when I was an atheist, scientist, uh, physics major, I was thinking that the world would end either with uh, the heat death of the universe in you know, 10 to the 100th power years. That's what they predict. You know, that's a newsflash, that in 10 to the 100th power years, the universe will end in either a, a heat death where everything just expands forever and grows totally cold, or maybe the big crunch where it all comes back together. Um, I thought there was an ending. Everyone thinks there's an ending. It's just, what is the ending? Uh, is it nuclear holocaust? Is it a comet hitting the earth or global warming? Just saw the movie, Don't Look Up. Um, fascinating movie. Okay, it got terrible reviews. It got a 57 on IMDb. Um, I actually really like the movie. Um, I will say it's like, it's very heavy-handed in its political commentary against Republicans. So you got to take that with a grain of salt. And, you know, that part was annoying to me, just that it was so politically heavy-handed. But it's a fascinating movie. And the whole premise of the movie, this is not giving away anything. This is the very first scene. <laughs> the very first scene, you see that an asteroid is coming to Earth, and it's going to destroy the Earth. 100% guarantee. All the scientists do the math, it's going to destroy. And, of course, in the movie, the asteroid is a metaphor for 
global warming, climate change. So in six months, this asteroid is going to destroy the Earth. And as I was watching the movie, I was just thinking, is that a more plausible ending to humanity than the second coming of Christ? And I don't necessarily think it is. Like, you've got these, everyone's got to choose something. There's, a, there's an option to choose. What is the universe going to end like? How will humanity uh, go out? And my prediction is it will go out with a human coming on the clouds and creating glory. Not an asteroid hitting the Earth. And not climate change destroying the Earth. But 50% of Americans thought that 2021 was the worst year of their lives. Um, and I think that's partly because they believe, and many people believe, and maybe you believe, that in 30 years, you know, some of the great cities of the world will be underwater. Miami, L.A., Seattle, New Orleans, that's what some predict. And if that's true, then the future is very dark, and things are getting darker every day. If in 30 years all those cities will be underwater, and many of the other global cities are going to be underwater, there's going to be a massive migration that will create... Total disaster. And the point of don't look up is if we really believe what's about to happen, uh, we would want to throw up. Because that's what the main character does at one point. That she just throws up in a trash can. She's so sickened by the idea of this happening. And so the point of don't look up is wake up to reality. Reality is terrible. And the main point of Jesus is exactly the opposite of that. In verse 30, he, said, he, he says in verse 37, stay awake because this huge thing is coming from outer space. But there's one very important difference. It's not a comet. It's a human. And it's the, not the worst thing to ever happen. It's the best thing to ever happen. And if you're a Christian, we need to stop living like the universe is a tragedy and realize it is a comedy in the Shakespearean sense. That it will not end poorly, it will end well. And in spite of all the tragedy and all the horrible things that are happening right now and will continue to happen, including the way the earth is treated, in spite of all those things, eventually, eventually the story is that nature will rejoice in its king that is coming back. And this is not optimism. You know, people say, oh, Ben's so optimistic. This is not optimism. This is not like the glass is half full. This is based on solid reality. This is based on a bedrock of certainty. Because the only person in the world that knows the ending of the world is the one who wrote the world. And he's the son of God. And he came into the world and he told us, look, verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away. This whole thing is going to be rolled up like a scroll, the entire visible universe, but my words will not pass away. In other words, the things I say are heavier than all the mass in the entire universe, and I know that because I wrote the story. And he's so emphatic about it that 19 times he says in different ways, wake up, wake up, wake up. Stay vigilant. Keep watchful. Don't forget the ending. Don't get bogged down here. Don't get drowsy. Verse 36, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And you don't want to be asleep. You do not want to be asleep when he comes back. You want to be awake. You want to be ready and waiting. Um, over Christmas, uh, we saw our financial advisor who showed us this graph of our projected wealth. And I'm sure they kind of always butter up the person that's looking at the graph. And he was like, you know, in, in, in 30 years, you'll have all this stuff in retirement. And so um, you should be really encouraged. And it was kind of intoxicating to see that graph. And it kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And I went to have a big lunch after that. I felt really good about myself and my life. And, but I thought to myself, I just hope things don't change too much. You know, I, I just hope the stock market doesn't change. I hope the tax structure doesn't change. I hope there's not a new political system. Um, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You want a new political system. Trust me. You want a new economy. You want me to be the king. You don't want America. Uh, you want the second coming. He's like, don't forget about me because I am the one for whom this whole world exists.
Um, apparently, the, um, the youth groups predicts, predict what movies I'm going to talk about in the sermon. So I don't know if y'all predicted this, but The Princess Bride. <clears throat> Always The Princess Bride. I love The Princess Bride. Um, so there's a second coming element to The Princess Bride because um, Buttercup um, is the princess and um, she is waiting for Wesley, her farm boy, her true love. And the very beginning of the movie, uh, Wesley says, I'm going to make my fortune now and I will always come back to you. Uh, he says, hear this now, I will always come for you. And Buttercup says, but how can you be sure? And Wesley says, this is true love. You think this happens every day? And then he goes off to make his fortune and time passes and she hears that he's dead. Uh, and so she gets engaged to Prince Humperty. And soon uh, after that, uh, she finds, Wesley finds her. So now they're, re- they're reunited. And, uh, and when they find, they roll down this hill uh, and they finally, uh, actually they, this is before they roll down the hill. They, Wesley reveals himself to her and Wesley says, I told you I would always come for you. Why did you not wait? And Buttercup says, well, but you were dead. And Wesley says, death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. And then Buttercup says, I will never doubt again. And Wesley says, there will never be a need. And the rest of the movie after that, uh, she never doubts his love again. She never falls asleep on his love again. Even in the deepest darkness, when it doesn't seem like he could possibly be alive and all hope is lost, she keeps waiting and waiting and waiting. And in many ways, uh, in spite of all this stuff I'm talking about, this cosmic and the justice and all that stuff, it boils down to a love story. And in the end, the table is him saying, wake up, I am coming to get you. You know, death cannot stop true love. And so stop looking to your career and your kids and your retirement and look to me, look to my coming. Uh, In the east, at the break of dawn, look to my coming. And this table says, uh, the story ends with a meal. The, with a festive meal, the wedding feast of the lamb. The story ends at a table, which actually is where Don't Look Up ends. Fascinating ending. That's why I would recommend you watch the movie. It all ends at a table. It's kind of like a last supper. And, uh, and that's what's going on here. Uh, Matthew 26, 9, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine again from now until I come back, until I drink it with you anew in the Father's kingdom. And that is what's going on. Remember, we love these rascals.